Hello, welcome to the Econified Podcast. Econified is the revolutionary's econ podcast. In each and every episode, it is our mission and purpose to engage you in the exploration of the truth. Through storytelling, empirical know-how, and applied discourse, join us in our pursuit to live our lives to the fullest and reinvigorate the modern soul. Today's Econified podcast. What are we talking about? The house of the rising sun. I think we're talking about China. Chinese influence on American business and media. And today's host, Jared and Jorge, as usual. And Jared will take us to the introduction to talk, to put us into the subject. Absolutely. And my question here is this. Where does China belong in the global economy, and what is the the role of local private enterprise in each of our communities? I remember visiting Jorge's family back a couple years ago, and one thing I noticed was people were smoking cigarettes in, uh, of course, in in Ecuador, you know, Latin country, but there are Chinese cigarettes. Thought that was interesting. I also noticed there was this kind of vehicle. There wasn't a lot of Fords on the road. There were some, uh, but I saw a, a brand called Chinese Wall or China <laughs> yeah, it's Wall. It's very popular. China it's Wall. Very popular over here. Yeah, it's something like that. To be honest, it's not a very good car. It crashed very easily, and usually it's made of plastic. I think so, or something like that. You know. I'm sure there's a reason why we've never heard of them. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, not the safest car out there. <laughs> well, it's it's just fascinating because to really first explore this question, we can look a little bit into like the debt and ownership that China has in American institutions, uh, academia, government securities, corporations uh, are our media industry. Yeah, absolutely. I I think I see that. I see that Chinese influence is increasing. You know, when was the last time you saw a Chinese villain in the movies? Probably 20 years ago and so on. And I don't know. It seems that they're influencing every single aspect in movies, entertainment, local news, economic. I think they invest in a lot of other countries to get a stake of influence, get the land, provide cheap loans, and also provide the materials and workers to build what they need to build. Since like, I don't know if it's a threat or it's another way of economic development, but clearly it's an influence, or like Jerry likes to say, a soft power. The soft power is a huge advantage for China. And what reminded me of uh, what you're talking about, Jorge, Doctor Strange. I don't know if you've yep. heard of this this movie, mm-hmm. but uh, the one of the main characters in the movie, Tilda Swinton, yes. I believe is her name. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. I know. It, it's a funny character companion of Doctor Strange. Yeah. Well, the reason why she was employed or casted, I should say, for that role. Traditionally, in that story, that role was supposed to be a Tibetan monk. Oh. <laughs> but China 
China did not want, they do not honor Tibet as its own country. So what happened? Very strange circumstance here, and it's not the only one. So Tilda Swinton is a white woman. So in this circumstance, the Chinese uh, government, working with Disney, decided to cast an actor, Tilda Swinton, a white woman, to fulfill a role that was traditionally, in the story, a Tibetan monk. Why would they do this? Well, they don't honor Tibet as a nation. So the power, the soft power of China is really pervasive. Just recently in the news, um, Michael Cena, is that his name? Michael Cena, the wrestler. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I read about it. Yeah, yeah he, he recently that. apologized because he called Taiwan, can you believe it, a country. Uh, but Taiwan is technically a country. But according to the Chinese government, it's not an independent country. So. Well, it's not in their interest. But my question Absolutely. is this. My question is this. At what point, you know, China owns TikTok and they're very involved in many of our media, media decisions. And as someone who's fairly libertarian minded and non-nationalistic, it's hard for me to really answer this question. But something bothers me fundamentally when another foreign country is dictating who is casted in movies and how the people in our country, our own media, is pushed and influenced by a foreign government so that they can still sell their movies over there. Because at this but point, I... uh, sorry, Jorge, but real quick, at this point, mm -hmm. we know that the U.S., uh, U.S. Is, is guaranteed for Disney, right? U.S. isn't trying to gain market share in the United States because they have market share in the United States. China is the future. These countries are the future. They want the market share. So maybe it's just the market mechanism at play. Maybe they're just responding to natural market incentives and trying to serve more customers, in this case, the Chinese Jorge, what do exactly you think? My point, that's exactly my point I, I was about to mention. Uh, do you remember this problem that happened with the NBA when I believe one of the higher apps in the NBA association tweets something about keep Hong Kong free and then the Chinese government wants to pretty much pull out of the NBA, the streaming from the whole nation of China and they have to issue an apology. Even LeBron James, has, LeBron James has to issue an apology saying that that was a stupid mood, that we love China, and yada, yada, yada. The only reason they do that is because they watch more NBA, they watch more basketball in China than actually Americans do. So the market in China is so big that nobody can miss out. I mean, Facebook is still banned in China and it's still trying to make ways to get there. Because it's the market of the future. I mean, these guys went from being peasants, communists, the, one of the poorest countries in the world, to keep to take away 300 million people out of poverty. I mean, what they did was impressive to government planning and also a capitalist society. It's true that they don't respect human rights. It's true that they pay slave wages. 
And it's true that sometimes they have a slave lab, so slave camps, where they take people to work incredible amount of hours to produce something that maybe Americans or everybody in the world buys. They became a financier of the world. They influence in a lot of things because they come with the money, come cheaply, actually, and they build roads and they build bridges, they build airports in other places that they never got the funding because they were too risky. And the Chinese government is willing to take the risk on that. But the true question is at what cost? You know, at what cost we're going to keep this influence? Even the China owns a lot of the debt that United States issue. I think Japan and China are the biggest debt holders of everything, of all the bond markets that United States uh, has issued in the past 20, 30 years or so. And it, in that point, it's really concerning. You know, it's a very surveillance state. They dictate how people should behave, what people should say. The social media is not free, clearly. I, everything is monitored in China. And you cannot speak freely. So it's not a clear path to democracy and personal freedom and human rights in China. But it's clearly a path to influence the lifestyle and the culture and the way of living. They think that our model of democracy, the American model of democracy, is flawed in so many reasons. And we take so many, so much time to pass a law where the Chinese government is a little bit more effective to build some things. And in, in some cases, they may have a point. I give that. You know, I give that to them. But I don't think that's a way to develop a really, really happy nation. In a sense, I, I know people may laugh at me when I talk about happiness, but building a happy nation is important because you get a chance to make your own choices and not the government through government planning. I don't know, Jay, what do you think about about that and how China strikes to crack down in governments, uh, sorry, not governments, in businesses when they don't like what they're doing, what happened with Airbnb and also with other businesses, Alibaba too. Absolutely. No, you mentioned Airbnb. Airbnb from the beginning was a strong proponent of something called the stakeholder model. Yeah. And, and this model was really based on the idea that it was going to help the people, uh, the those in their company that help the co- company achieve their success, their stakeholders, their suppliers, their employees, shareholders, uh, hosts, guests. Uh, these were people in their company that were supposed to fulfill a mission for them. And at the end of the day, they they were susceptible with this stakeholder model. Uh, Basically the difference between traditional, traditional uh, governance in companies now is that they would have something called uh, the Friedman doctrine, which was based on the idea that the sole purpose of a company is to make money to be profit incentivized and because yeah, that's an yeah, old concept too it's an but old yeah. concept but mm-hmm. after airbnb said you know they started and they're like you know we're going to be we're going to have a different model we're going to be a stakeholder model well now china has 
in essence, used that model and taken advantage of Airbnb in order to advance their own agenda. Likewise, I'm just looking at an article right now. It says, China's media interference is going global, report says. This is Time Magazine. It says, according mm-hmm. to the report, the Chinese government is investing as much as $1.3 billion annually to increase the global presence of Chinese media. With this investment, Chinese state-run television and radio shows have been able to drastically expand their international reach to 140 countries. So, but Broadcasting in 65 languages. Interesting. So what is the end goal? Clearly, it's increasing their influence, right? To expand their what soft purpose? power. To expand their soft power. What China wants is a polar, another opportunity to create two poles. Basically create a sphere of influence over half of the world, much like the Cold War period. And eventually, countries will start to turn against the United States and the European powers. Why? Because China is actually thinking ahead. While the European powers in the United States often took what they wanted through force, through installing dictators in the United States sense, for the European powers sense, it would just be exploiting other nations through uh, raw material exploits by through mm-hmm. via colonialism. China is much more clever. They'll give countries yeah, loans. For, yeah, they partner with them. They'll, quote, part, quote, they'll quote unquote partner. They'll install. Right. They'll they'll invest in the country, and from this, it does two things. For one, it makes China the creditor. And gives them yes. the leverage. And for two, it also gives some sense of Chinese influence. And uh, it gives and them markets, to be honest. It's given markets. It's honestly. reciprocity. You know, you're going to be, yeah. you know, like when in Trieste, in Trieste, in Italy, the, one of the first countries that was hit by COVID, do you think France or Greece or Italy? Uh, sorry, not Italy, or Germany, sent them personal protective equipment. No, it was China. It was China. China knows what, like, they're thinking ahead. They're very, and they also have a society that really uh, values gifts and honor, in a sense. The, The thing with China is, like, it's not a nation. It's a civilization. This guy's been here long before pretty much every single European nation. So I think Egypt and the Chinese civilization are the old, one of the oldest ones, the whole, I don't know, knowledgeable history of mankind, you know? So it's very interesting how they think very communal and they don't think very individualistic. So whatever the government says or does, it's something that I'm very really used to it. Like before it was the emperor, so they didn't change so much for that model. They just became a more capitalist model. They understood, well, how the capital markets work. Uh, but pretty much in a sense, they're still the same people that they were like 500 years ago. They only become more technical and more knowledgeable. And they're very smart as well. You don't have to take that away from there. And from what I can see in the recent Olympics game, they're a heck of athletes too. 
So they work really hard to compete and be the best at what they can do. But again, I going back to my question, what is the purpose of increasing Chinese influence? What is the Chinese end game? And Javed, what, what do you think that that would be the case in, in that point? Well, the American dream is one thing, but the Chinese dream is another. Right. It's the story of the rising sun. It's to return China to its former glory and reigniting the promise of a previously very powerful, as you as you mentioned, uh, not just a nation. Not long ago, China used to make everything in the world. It happened in the 1600s, 1700s as well. And then the Industrial Revolution started, and then Europeans and Americans and other nations start to process and make stuff more often. Uh, when the British, the Spaniards, the French, the Americans nowadays, they influence and shape the world in the last 200 years and so, they did it to the end goal and influence the culture or what they call quote unquote civilization, no, the Western way of living. So I guess in what sense to answer that question I'd be asking, I think they want to influence the Eastern way of living, the Chinese way of living and thinking, you know, this Chinese way of solving issues of because culture and architecture shape the way you think, you know, Winston Churchill used to say, we shape the buildings, therefore they shape us. In a way, a lot of things, how they build stuff so fast, how they create markets, how they quote unquote partner with all the nations and, and create more bridges between companies based in China and other countries, is just to increase the Chinese way of living. You know, the American dream is something like everyone in the whole globe knows. Everyone knows that the pursuit of happiness, the chance of owning a house, the chance of owning your own things and make a man or make an individual out of yourself is very important. Acquire assets, private company, private property, and so on. The Chinese is a little bit different, how they think in a communal way, in a community sense. And it's a little bit more rigid and they don't have in my opinion, a lot of ways to scale in society unless you affiliate to a party or you join the ideology or ideas of their liking. I don't know, Jerry, I think you read more about this. What what do you think to to give it a kick out slash conclusion to this topic for the first episode? So there's two kinds of what I mean here is that there is a Chinese dream and an American dream. The American dream, uh, people believe in the American dream less than ever before in the United States. We don't see uh, the same cost of living standards as previous generations. Mm -hmm. And we've had an exodus of many middle-class jobs to China. Americans' right. belief in the American dream really is at historically low levels and really with just half of Americans believing that it's very alive. 
So half of Americans don't believe – like very low. Let's while, the, about wait, while the Chinese though have never – in essence, there's opportunities galore. The Chinese dream does not really prioritize an individual's freedom or self-expression. But it gives them economic mobility. And that is the American dream for the Chinese, economic mobility, because they know what it means to be poor in China. China has been traditionally very poor. Economic mobility, as long as you don't think freely. That Absolutely. Has to be said, man. Absolutely. But okay. when you look at these interviews with the Chinese, often you can kind of feel where they're at. If I was Chinese, I would get it. I, me too. I mean, everyone. Because listen, you're making money. Like they're interviewing these people. They have a nice house, nice family. They join the social credit system because they. we just watched this DW documentary. Highly recommended. Very uh, great DW documentary. It's titled China, Surveillance State or Way of the Future by Deutsche Welle. Uh, DW documentary. documentary. So they interviewed some upper class people living, I think it was Shenzhen, if I'm remembering yeah, right. I think, I think so, something like that. And obviously, they have this beautiful apartment, got a beautiful family. It's, it doesn't really speak to my Americanness. Like looking at it makes me a little sad. There's not like loud music playing. You know, there needs to be like a little chaos for me as a, an American. New Orleans is what I'm talking about. Miami, you know, like places where Austin, Texas, even Chicago, like places where there's music on the streets. There's a little bit of a wild chaos in America. When China, everything is harmonious. Everything is quiet. You don't really see the same things that we see here. I haven't been to China. Me neither. Uh, but from the state of this documentary, you didn't see a lot of pushback to many of these Chinese measures that the CCP, I'll call it, the Chinese Communist Party, these me these measures such as the, the social credit score and surveillance in almost every part of the city. They ask these people, "How? what do you think about all this? And they're like, well, I feel safer in many, in many cases. Well, there's kind of two folds to that. For one, you can't really say the opposite. You really think the Chinese government's going to like that? You think it's going to hurt your social credit score? Of course. Yeah, absolutely. And secondly, they might actually like the harmony and the peacefulness of that society. But they're like, for me as an American, I know for a fact that's not a good society. It's not. You can't. You can't be thinking the same way. And even if you were, the people making those calls are not going to be right all the time. So that means you're going to have to lie you. to yourself and lie to others in promoting mm -hmm. this this sense that you are somehow have a, a harmony and a oneness. Just for the sole fact that you're forced to, 
No way. I would rather have a divisive society. And that is what America means to me. America is a country, and that's what the beauty of America means. It's the, it's the First Amendment, where literally they had the Westboro Baptist Church go to the Supreme <laughs> Court because they were protesting at the funerals of veterans and homosexuals telling them and their families that God hates them and with a respectable distance. That's what America means. Because if, if speech that isn't reprehensible and terrible, if that's not protected, no speech is. And that's for me, that is the juxtaposition of our country and theirs. Theirs might look pretty at one day, one day, they might ascend to great power and have an amazingly rich and powerful and amazing society. But while they still have communism, they won't have what the raw materials are to create a truly creative and beautiful society like what the United States needs to be. Yeah, you need creativity, definitely. Uh, for context, yes. uh In the United States, we use a credit score system. Basically, it measures your credit to buy a car, house, and so on. In China, they use a credit score, but differently. It's measured on behavior. And they measure and stuff how you behave in online and offline. Also, when you cross street pathways and so on, they will measure every single kind of behavior they can measure and quantify to give you a social score system. Uh, to wrap it up, because this is the first episode and is the topic of China is too extent to talk it out in one single episode, um, we're going to end it up with a positive attitude and a positive message too. Uh, basically, what is the role of America today? Uh, how we can get back the American dream? Basically, we need to, in my opinion, and this is just my opinion, we need to invest more in ourselves and we need to build better. We need to build better bridges, build a better social welfare system. But most of all, we need to build a better enterprise system. We need to start manufacturing and building stuff back in America so we can take the jobs back and see how we can diversify from China. Because we're not living in a globalization stage. We're living in a Chinese world economy stage where everything is made of China. We need to globalize the heck out of China and the best in other nations too to see what we can do there that is a little bit cheap and also has a good quality and take the jobs back to see what we can do back in America. I think that's how we build the Americans' dream back. We gave ICSI an accessible access for housing, an accessible access for capital, and build businesses. Jared, you take on this to close? The United States really needs to re-envision itself. And for one, I think American companies should really reconsider what it means to be American. Is it only about making money? Is it only about global commerce? What are the considerations for ethics, especially in the way that our products are made? What about oversight? 
labor laws. I understand that we as Americans, we play a pivotal role in the United, uh, in not only our own country of the United States, a country that's huge of over 330 million people, but in the world stage, traditionally as one of the world hegemons. I believe that America can be better, and it must be. The United States can play a, a key role in ensuring that freedom and commerce are all respected in the United States stage. I think during the COVID pandemic, we saw countries falling apart, picking each other off in a sense, and not protecting those relationships. We saw some something that was similar to the beggar thy neighbor attitude that was common in the 1920s. True. During a time when, honestly, it was better to be protectionist than to look at other nations. And I think what it's I, fair to say that United States didn't play a leadership role during the earliest stage of the pandemic. What I mean to say by this is that the United States doesn't need to be a beggar than neighbor country, an isolationist country, nor does it need to be a hegemon mingling in the affairs of other nations. Mingling is the wrong word. Uh, micromanaging situations in other nations. What the United States needs to be is an example of what the world can be. Traditionally, the United States really didn't have any competitors to that. With China's soft power and their ascent and their ownership of American institutions, academia, our media, many of our corporations, their soft power has significantly expanded. And the best way that we can counter the Chinese machine of propaganda and soft power in the world, it's by living the role of America, not in entangling ourselves, as Thomas Jefferson said, with the alliances of other nations, but it's by leading the world by example by showing the world what America could be and what other countries could aspire to be. In, in that context, we can have a sense of our own power as American citizens. I think it's important for you to feel a part of something greater than yourself. And I think in the United States, have hope in yourself Remember that in the United States, you have the power to start your own company, to make it, to push yourself to your limits. And it's not something that many Americans know that they have, but it is a great right and privilege to be born in this country and have the freedoms that we do. And for us, we only see the negative media trying to spin our country off as some racist oligopoly or whatever else they might say. It may be true, but the idea, it may be true, but the idea is 
of what America could be and what is really rests in your own mind and heart. And if you really are to reach where you can be, you should also believe in the power, not of your state, but of your nation, the life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. From us here at Econified Podcast, signing off. Great. Have a great night. Thank you, everyone. Bye.